0: That may be the first time I've been called brilliant, so don't take him too seriously. So I <laughs> appreciate the opportunity to be here. I'm a little anxious for football, right? It starts this weekend. I'm a Mississippi State fan. I'm a college football fan in general, and uh, I am looking forward to getting this started. It's, been, it's like Christmas in the South, and so I've been on calls all week and meetings all week talking to guys about that and getting going. Uh, so want to get a sense of where you guys are from a little bit. Uh, who in here is not from the state of Mississippi? Okay, so it's about 15 of you. Okay, of those, anybody from Memphis? Memphis back there. Okay, I live in Memphis. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of my background while we're... And then we'll, what I want to do is I want to give you a little bit of my background, show you a little bit about where I am today, what we're doing, some of the things that might sort of pique your interest and start some questions. And uh, then I'll come back, sort of talk about my history, then I'll talk about some ideas for you guys um, and what your thoughts are about where you're going. Uh, you're in an entrepreneurship class, right? That's what this is. Um, so presumably you have some interest in being an entrepreneur. Is that correct? Everybody kind of feel like that's what you want to do, the path you want to be on? And uh, there's a lot there, right? When you say that, what is entrepreneurship? Uh, have you guys had a definition of entrepreneurship? What's your name? Aaron? Aaron Boyd, Tal Clark, nice to meet you. How do you describe entrepreneurship? It's, uh, creating a way instead of following someone else. Okay, creating a way. For what about you? What's your name? Amy. Amy, what do you think? Um, taking your idea and turning something that you want help other people. Yeah, that's great. Being a, that's exactly right. Being a person that doesn't mind taking risks in order to be successful. All those are, are good answers. And I don't know if there's any one definition. I think if you Google it online, what you'll find is somebody who organizes and plans a business that has financial risks that are more than ordinary, right? So there's generally financial risk involved. There's generally financial reward at the end of that involved. But it's not easy. It takes commitment. It takes a vision. It takes to... It takes you following your passion more than anything else. So as we talk through this, I'm going to give you a couple instances where uh, maybe I did or didn't follow my passions. And I think when you leave this university or do your next step, that's, that's what it is. I've got a little bit more about myself, my personal life. I live in Memphis. I was born and raised in the Mississippi Delta, Drew, Mississippi. Anybody here from Drew? Anybody here from the Delta? What town? Cleveland? Greenwood? Greenwood? Greenwood. Greenville? Greenwood. Greenwood? Two from Greenwood, one from Greenville. My brother still lives in Cleveland. I was born and raised in Drew, and uh, uh, came to Mississippi State, finished Mississippi State in 1986, graduated high school from North Sunflower Academy, which some of you probably heard of. I'm neither proud nor sorry of that, but it's just where I went to school, right? Right, so... Uh, Went to Mississippi State, graduated Mississippi State, uh, spent seven years in the Marine Corps, not your typical entrepreneurial path, right? So I didn't come out of Mississippi State saying I want to be an entrepreneur. Honestly, when I was at Mississippi State, when I left Drew, I mean, if you wanted to make money, there was only a few ways that you were told to do it, right? You're either going to be a doctor, a lawyer, or if you're fortunate enough to, to own land, you're going to be a farmer. That was pretty much it. That was all the guidance you got coming out of the Mississippi Delta in 1982. And I think it's probably changed a little bit today. You guys feel like you're getting better guidance coming out of your high schools today than I was getting then? No, probably not. Maybe not in a lot of cases. You don't have a lot of folks saying, hey, you can pursue this opportunity, this opportunity, whatever it may be, but it needs to follow your passion. That's, gonna, that's what's going to take you to success. you got to figure out a, what it is that you're good at, and B, what is it that you're passionate about. And if you put those two things together, you're going to be successful, whatever your idea may be, whatever the business may be, whether it's part of a small business, a business that you start, or whether it's part of a large business, okay? Following your interest and following it with passion is going to make you successful. So when I came out of high school, I came to Mississippi State. I My first enrollment was... Aerospace engineering, because I did like to fly and I wanted to be a pilot uh, at some point. And so I thought aerospace engineering would be pretty cool until I looked and saw how much calculus was involved with aerospace engineering. You guys are mostly engineering students, right? So that's not a big deal for you, but I was not going to be an engineering student. So calculus was a big deal for me. So I started looking for the classes that I could take, the majors that I could find that were actually going to avoid calculus. All right, that was my goal. And so I got a degree here in agricultural engineering technology and business. It had a few engineering courses in it, but it was not an engineering course, trust me. It was a little bit of everything. And I tell you this because I want you to understand that there is no typical path, right, to, to what you can do. And there's no reason that you have to stick with the path that you initially take, right? So I got a degree in agricultural, technology, agricultural engineering technology and business. My fallback might have been to go farm. Honestly, okay? My plan was to go fly airplanes or helicopters, just fly anything. So I spent a couple of years here, and then I went into... I was walking around campus one day. I was in Air Force ROTC here. Which Anybody here in this class, Air Force ROTC? Because I don't want to offend anybody. Anybody? No? Great group of guys, but after being on the campus a little bit, Air Force ROTC, I figured out I didn't want to be in Air Force, And I certainly didn't want to wear the uniform around this campus two days a week and do those things that I needed to do and be an Air Force ROTC. So I was walking through the Union over there one day, and there was a Marine standing there, and he was passing out brochures, and one of those brochures had a helicopter on the front of it. And I'm like, Marine Corps flies? I had no idea that the Marine Corps flew, right? And he said, Absolutely, Marine Corps flies. I said, do I have to wear a uniform on campus? He said, nope. I said, all right, that's, that's the right answer to start with. What do I have to do otherwise? Stay in shape, show up twice during the summer. You don't have to keep your hair short. And we didn't keep our hair short in the 80s on this campus. You guys, most everybody's hair is short, but our hair was not short in the 80s on this campus. So didn't have to cut my hair. All I had to do was stay in shape and uh, show up a couple times in the summer. So I signed up. I said, look, I'm in. Put me in a Marine Corps. I did not have a career path. I did not have a path, a plan. I'm not telling you that as a bad thing. I'm telling you that as that you can always change direction. Right? Never be afraid to sort of take a next step. Never be afraid to not have a plan. Okay? That will be that will take care of itself for you. Am I up at all? No? I'm dead? Okay. Over, okay. All right, so don't be afraid not to have a plan not to have a path, okay, because you can change direction as you go. I leave here, I go, spend seven years in the Marine Corps. Uh, one of the best things I ever did, okay I am I am proud of my service. Uh, is anybody in here serving in the military or plan on serving in the military at all? One, two, prior, what branch? Thank you for your service. Um, And so I don't want to discourage anybody from that path, but what I'm going to tell you is I I learned leadership there. I learned discipline there that I didn't have when I was here. I learned a number of things there. Um, I spent seven years. I flew helicopters, uh, traveled the world, did all those great things. When I started coming out of the Marine Corps, though, one thing I realized is the only thing that hurt me, and I want you guys to know this because... It puts you behind, it put me behind my peers, okay? Now, I gained a lot of other advantages. I learned leadership skills that they never would have, have, never would have. I had life experiences they never would have. And today, you know, I still run into folks that know I was in the Marine Corps that appreciate that service, right? And that feels good, honestly, right? It's good to serve your country. It's good to do those things. But at the same time, when I came out, there were guys that had got out of Mississippi State the same time I did or other universities, they had been putting in eight years into business, right? Starting businesses, growing businesses, or starting to work with a company and, and, and developed a pay, paycheck that was much further ahead of mine, right? Because you don't get paid in the military and you come out and you're sort of starting over. So that's the down, that's the only thing I want that may be a parallel there for you guys is make your decisions with the future in mind. Doesn't mean you have to have a plan for the future. But just know that you may have to adjust going forward, okay? I did that for seven years, and I'll come back to, to the rest of that after I get there. But I wanted to – I mentioned to you guys that I live in Memphis, and I got off track with that story. I live in Memphis. I've got two kids about your age. I've got a son at the University of Georgia. He's on the swim team there, Swam with Michael Phelps all summer, proud of him, trained, just missed the Olympic team by about that much. He was in the last heat of the 200 fly. At Omaha and touched the wall about that much too late to make the team. He did make the U.S. team. Will continue swimming. Uh, so he's an SEC athlete. Any athletes in here? SEC athletes. Okay. So he's an SEC athlete. Proud of him for doing that. And uh, he's in the same place you guys. And I have a daughter that's at Ole Miss. Don't shoot me. I hate it. Love her, but I hate where she's going to school. Love the town, but that's that's the way life goes for you. So that's my family. That's my background. I was telling you that I spent the time in the Marine Corps. I came out, and I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And all I want to tell you guys is I set my goals probably a little too low, right? Whether they're financial goals or attainment goals, I had ideas around what I wanted to achieve, and I didn't set them high enough. And what I also learned is if I picked a number, let's just say I came out of the Marine Corps and I said, well, I want to find a, roll or start something making this, right? Whatever that number is. You know what I ended up making? You want to guess? That number, right? I didn't set, set the bar high enough, okay? I went, went through a few years. I, I, was with a, um, I was in the agricultural business. I, uh, I worked with companies, startup companies, to take biotechnology products and develop them for agriculture. I did that for a number of years. I worked for a Japanese company uh, uh, called Sumitomo Chemical for a number of years. And I kept setting that bar, and, and I would hit that bar, right? And I'm just, what I'm trying to tell you guys is, to whatever number you got in mind, double it, right? Because at the end of the day, and I know you guys are the millennial generation, right? Everybody talks about the millennial generation, a lot of great characteristics in this generation. A lot of places you guys are going to go. You want to change the world. In some cases, many of you will say, I'm not worried about money. I just want to change the world. I want to find what it is that I'm passionate about and change the world. That's a great pursuit. Okay? But at some point, I think you're going to change, and you're going to want to change the world, but maybe you're going to want to change the world with your money. Right? So you got to think about those things. Life is not free. So take whatever number you got and at least double it. You're going to hit the number you have in mind every time, and it, every time. So I finished this. I did that for a few years, and I came back. Um, I ran into a, a few guys in Memphis, and we started talking about starting a business. And if we started this business, there's there's absolute risk involved. And the business that we were talking about starting was a prepaid card that businesses could load payroll onto to eliminate checks okay now this was two, this was 2001 when we started developing this idea and we said there was no there was nobody doing it maybe one other uh, company in Nashville had had a similar idea but hadn't really gotten off the ground we were in Memphis. There was, there was four of us involved initially. This was going to be a payroll product. How many of us do you think had payroll business experience? Zero, right? Five guys. Uh, most of the guys had been involved in technology. Uh, one of them had owned a networking company and sold it. Uh, I was coming out of the agricultural business where I, where I, where I had partnered with acquired, or researched uh, startup companies in the biotech field. So that's what we had. We had a couple of guys from a networking company, and and we were going to start a payroll business, right? Doesn't make a lot of sense. But what the idea was is today, and it still exists today, at that time, you either had a bank account where you had direct deposit, right, to go in your bank account, or your employer had to pay you with a check. And that check, cost every employer when they send it out at least two dollars. So every time they give you a check, if you guys, who here's working right now? Okay, keep your hands up if you're getting paid by check. Rest of you, direct deposit. Anybody have a payroll card, a prepaid card? Anybody have a prepaid card? Okay, what's your name in the red shirt? Uh, Hayden. Hayden, you sort of. Are uh, you getting paid direct deposit? Or both. both. Okay, cool. So one gives you direct deposit, one gives you a check. Okay. All employers didn't have direct deposit at the time. They did have direct deposit, but all the, the people that were working there didn't have checking accounts, right? So how do I pay the person electronically who doesn't have a checking account? There wasn't an option. So that was the idea, is we're going to put, take Visa and MasterCard, prepaid open-loop cards, issue them through the employer so that they can enroll an employee so that they can then pay them electronically. So we take a company that's, that is like Dollar General is a client of ours, right? Everybody knows Dollar General. So I sat in with Dollar General. We worked on it. These these deals took a long time. We worked on it for six months. Dollar General has, they have about uh, 100,000 stores, okay? And they have, uh, well, no, let's say 10,000 stores and they have about 12 employees for stores. So they got about 120,000 employees so Dollar General was writing 120,000 checks per week, every week. Remember, each check costs two dollars for them to send out. So that's a quarter million dollars a week cost just on their payroll. Okay, so in a month they were spending a million dollars, twelve million dollars a year just to send out checks. We wanted to eliminate that cost. Dollar General was one of our clients. They signed up. We converted their entire electronic, their entire employee base to electronic pay. No more checks. Save them $12 million. Okay? They save $12 million. How much do you think we made on that deal? They, make, they save $12 million every year. And I just want to give you just a little bit of a relationship to the value that you can bring to businesses and individuals, and there's always a piece of that that you're going to keep as revenue. Right? You've got to build value for them. You keep a piece of that for your revenue. Okay? So we save them per check eight dollars a month. Okay? Right? So we essentially per check saved them eight dollars a month. We took that that money ended up their savings ended up being our revenue. And they didn't have to pay us. And I'll explain that to you in a little bit. Right? So that twelve million dollars a year that was going to was going to their expense line is now going to our revenue line and it didn't cost them a dime. Okay, that's the idea. The reason it didn't cost them a dime is because MasterCard and Visa, every time you swipe a MasterCard and Visa card, they're charging that merchant. So if you swipe that card at Walmart, Walmart pays MasterCard and Visa, MasterCard and Visa paid us. So that was the pass-through. So we turned $12 million in cost at Dollar General to $12 million in revenue for us. We did that across 2,000 clients, including Dollar General, Walmart, Best Buy, um, are all some of our clients, staffing firms that you may not have heard of. Uh, so, we t- And we took a company that was uh, zero revenue. We were making zero money. Okay, Today, that was in 2002. Today it's 250 million. We'll probably be at 300 million by the end of next year in revenue. Okay, And we sold it to First Data, which is how I got to First Data. And I was going to show you a couple of slides to show some of the pathway there and some of the things that go on there. Okay? So that's how that works. And I, along the way, I had opportunities to change paths, to stop, to say no. And I will tell you guys this. Everything, everything significant that's happened in my life has happened from me telling somebody, from me changing direction, from me being willing to say, no, I'm going to go do this okay, the, taking the opportunity to, to take different initiatives will change your life. And that's probably the most significant thing I can tell you guys. I was working at an ag chemical company, ultimately, right? I was making a good, comfortable wage for me and my family, right? I had to say, no, I don't want that wage anymore, right? I had to leave that behind. I lived on essentially zero I sold a house that was a big house. Okay, this is, these are the things I did. I sold a house. I quit earning income. I did all those things that you hear entrepreneurs do, and we struggle. We struggle for three years. I told you we got to two hundred million dollars or two hundred fifty million dollars today, but for three years we were at we we barely scraped a million dollars in annual revenue. Okay, trying to feed five folks out of it and everything else. Right, so it takes a time, but. Does anybody know who the largest payroll company in the U.S. is? Anybody ever heard of ADP? Okay, ADP. ADP is the largest processor of payroll in the country. ADP came to us. We were a million dollars in revenue. But they came to us. You know why they came to us? Because we were beating them in deals. They're a, they're a, I think they're $20 billion, 15 to $20 billion in revenue, right? ADP is. We were beating them in deals because we had a better product that we had developed on our own. Because we were beating them in deals, because we were going into their key clients and convincing them that we had a better product, ADP ultimately comes knocking on our door. Again, we're not making anything, right? We're a million-dollar. And we signed a deal with ADP that took us from a million dollars in revenue, okay, to a hundred million dollars in revenue in five years, right? Right? Because of that relationship with them, the only reason we got the relationship is because we were beating them. Okay, you got them, and and the consumers had a passion for our product, and we were beating them. That's the only way they came to us. I guess the piece of that story that I want to make sure you guys understand is that uh, you've got to be willing if you're going to be an entrepreneur. I was selling. Right, I went from managing salespeople to selling. I was cold calling, I was dialing the phone. I was sitting in a in a cubicle, dialing the phone every day, calling. If you're going to be an entrepreneur, you got to a make sure you got a product that somebody wants. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fine. Why did ADP help the competition? Well, they helped. They didn't. They helped us because they couldn't beat us. Right? If you can't beat them, you join them. Right? What did they get out of it? They got a product that they couldn't develop their own. So here's the thing: when we get this up here, and I'm going to skip back to this in a little bit, um, I'm going to. I tell you what: I think I'll answer your question as I go through this in a little bit, okay? And I'll answer yours as well. Um, So we developed it. We partnered with ADP, and I was going back to real quick, and I'm going to kind of ramble here. If I get off track, guys, we'll come back and answer questions. Um, but one one of the points I wanted to make was if you're going to start a business, I hear people sometimes say, well, I'm going to start a business, but I don't want to sell, okay? Or I hear people say, I don't want to be in sales, and then I look down the road and they're starting a business. The people that want to start a business and don't want to sell are not going to be in the business long, okay? You have got to... And look, I have been in and around sales and managed sales teams my entire career, Okay? It is a glorious profession. I love doing it, right? I love, it's, it's, it's as close, if you've ever been a competitor, been on a football team, basketball team, whatever, the only way you're gonna get that feeling once you leave this university is to be in a sales team. Okay, the only way you're gonna get the, the, the feeling of competing and winning is to be in sales. That's what you do. I love the competition, I love to compete, I love to win. It is the scoreboard. I was on a call today with 60 people that I have on a team, and what we were doing was reviewing the scoreboard. Where are you? Are you at your number? Are you not at your number? And it is an open forum. So if you're not not doing what you need to do, everybody else is going to know it. But if you're killing it, everybody else is going to know it too. And you're the one that's going to go on the trips and get all the money and all of that. So sidebar here, if you want to be an entrepreneur, if you want to start a business, at least a part of you needs to be willing to go sell and make that first couple of deals. Nobody's going to do it for you, okay? And all it takes, again, is passion for your product. All right. Eric, remind me how much time we have. What's the, what's the schedule here? Three o'clock. three o'clock, okay. All right, so I'm going to come back to some of that in a little bit, but I want to answer these guys' questions, and I can do that, I think, as we go through this. Um, I mentioned where I was and what we were doing, we talked about, is it the forward button here? Yeah. First Data. So this is where I was going to start, and uh, then I was going to kind of come back to some of the things we talked about, but I want you to understand where I am today and kind of give you my thoughts around that. First Data is the largest payments company on the, on the earth, okay? It's a payments technology company. So anytime you swipe a card, gift card, credit card, debit card, there's a good chance that 50 to 60 percent of the time, you're touching you're touching my company. Um, It's a different story in itself. We did first data was taken private by KKR in 2008. So imagine this: first data buys. Our company, Money Network, okay? We get paid in cash and stock, okay? One catch is that stock is not in a public company. These, there are lessons here for all of you guys, okay? Because if you start a company, there's going to be a one of a couple of results. You're either going to run it the rest of your life and give it to your kids, right? Great. You're going to sell it to somebody else and make money, right, when you do that. Those are basically the two options. You're either going to keep it and run it. Are you going to sell it? Or if you grow it large enough and significant enough, you may want to take it and do an IPO, take the company public. So I've experienced all of that in the last seven, eight years. We were acquired by First Data, not a public company at the time. They paid us in cash and stock, okay? And that was in 2008. Today is 2016. We did an IPO in 2015. The only reason I'm tell- I've am enjoyed every minute of it, but the only reason I'm telling you this story is because I ended up in a deal where I was locked up with a significant amount of equity that was not liquid for seven years, okay? Not a great place to be. So as you go forward and you see those opportunities, those are things that you can think about as you're doing deals or you have the opportunity to do deals. Uh, not a bad place to be, but not a great place to be. Okay. Uh, Kate- Right after they bought us, KKR acquired First Data, took them private, took them off the public markets. Um, It was a leveraged buyout. Uh, Raise your hand if you understand the term leveraged buyout. You guys had that in any of your business classes? Okay. Um, There's a great book. You can go read about it, and it will tell you all you need to know about leveraged buyouts. If you're a reader, go pick up Barbarians at the Gate. Okay, it's the story of KKR's Leverage Buyout of R.J. Reynolds in Winston-Salem. Again, a sidetrack, but if you're interested in it, that'll tell you all you need to know about LBOs. And you can think about me and say, yeah, well, I went through all that. So a Leverage Buyout means, it means, what's your name? Jeremy. Jeremy? Tal, nice to meet you. Jeremy's got a business, right? I want to buy Jeremy's business because I think I can make it better, make more revenue, make more profit. Right? But I don't want to use my money because Eric's got more money than I do and I can get Eric's money cheap. So I'm gonna go buy Eric's money, pay him an interest rate over a period of time. Let's say I'm gonna come back, I'm gonna give you hundred million dollars for your business. Right? All I'm doing is paying interest on that money to Eric over however many years. I don't have anything at stake really, except I've got your business. We're gonna we're gonna things we're gonna do, we're gonna find places to cut cost. Uh, we're going to find places to drive revenue. We're going to change benefits. We're going to do all those things. We're going to take your costs down as low as we can possibly get them. At the same time, we're going to try to grow the business. Grow your revenue, right? If you use le- leveraged debt, you get greater multiples on that debt than you would if I paid cash, right? And it's not my money. So theoretically, you have an opportunity to take that company public or resell it later on. You, you, you've used leverage. So you make more money, I make more money off of Eric's money than I could have made on my own, if it all works out, right? But it gets, it's tough to do. So we did this for seven years. Mark, the, the, everybody knows we had the recession in 2008. We kind of got stuck with $22 billion, with a B, $22 billion in debt, okay? It was the largest leverage buyout in history at the time. So we got 22 billion dollars in debt. I've got stock tied up here, and that's what. And I I, I would not trade the education that I've had over the last five or six years for this. Um, So, good news is we get uh, we got some great leadership. I've learned from some great guys. Some names I'll give you to go look up that uh, folks I've had the opportunity to work for and work for today. Um, A guy by the name of Joe Plumeri, P L U M E R I. He was former CEO, CEO of Willis Group and just a very dynamic guy. He wrote a book uh, that I want to encourage you to get as well. So just look up Joe Plumary look up his book, read that. Had an opportunity to work for him for about two years. He's about 70 years old, but he's got more energy than most of us in this room. Okay, he used to be CEO of Citibank, Citi and then he was CEO of Willis Group. Just a very dynamic guy. I learned a ton about it. About Even after being in business for 30 years, I learned, learned a ton from him. Uh, look him up. Today, our CEO is Frank Bisignano, B-I-S-I-G-N-A-N-O. He's a, he's a great Italian man. Uh, he was second to Jamie Dimon at Chase. If you don't know Jamie Dimon's name, you might want to look that up, too. So he was J, J Morgan Chase CEO. Uh, Frank was... COO at JPMorgan Chase when the World Trade Center went down, okay? And the amazing thing about him, he actually had a plan. He had employees in the World Trade Center. He had a plan and got them out. JPMorgan Chase did not use, lose a single employee in that building that day. Uh, so he's that kind of guy. He plans out. He's the hardest worker you've ever met in your life. And uh, these guys, you hear about all the money they make as CEOs, but guys like him are working Saturday, Sunday, no time with their family. It's crazy. So I've had an opportunity to work and learn with those guys. Got them on board. They came on board First Data. Uh, after a year and a half, we did the IPO in, in October. It was the, it was the largest IPO in, on the market last year in 2015, and it is still the largest uh, IPO since that date we went public. There were two other companies that pulled their IPO that day. Albertsons was one of them pulled their IPO, and I'm forgetting the other one right now. But we went. You know, it's the kind of guys they are. They said, we're going. We're going to get it out. It's a good thing we did. We would have never gotten out. Uh, we came out at $16. bucks. we have been down as low as $8. Uh, we're about $14 today, and uh, things are going well. So um, it's probably the largest com- company that you've never heard of. Just some numbers here, some things I wanted you to see. Pretty amazing numbers. This is who we work with, okay? And I know you guys, if you're in an entrepreneur class, this is not the company that you're targeting and going to work with, but there's a method to my madness here. I want you to understand the business, first of all. 2,000 transactions per second. We work with 3,500 financial institutions, uh, 70 countries where we process credit, debit card, and gift card transactions. We have 24,000 employees, $11 billion in revenue, uh, 6 million business locations, 1.9 trillion in transaction volume. So that's, that's a T, okay? 1.9 trillion. To get the, to get the emphasis on that, look on the second block from the bottom right. We process 10% of the U.S. GDP daily. It's processed through first data, okay? Where will you see us? When you go forward, after we've talked today, you can go out. If you go get a McDonald's gift card, that's us. That's my business. I manage that business. Um, go get a Best Buy gift card. If you, go, if you go buy a latte at Starbucks or get one of their gift cards, we process that gift card within the app, okay, as well. Um, we are Walmart. We do Walmart gift cards, Walmart processing. Every time you swipe or buy something at Walmart, that's us, okay, we uh, we have the largest single zip code by mail volume of in the US. Okay, the largest single zip code because we mail all the statements and everything else for banks nationwide. So that's a little bit of breadth of the company. Yeah. Uh, you earlier you said something about master and visa as part of so do y'all do like the prepaid MasterCard? Yeah, we do. We so do prepaid MasterCards, and, and uh, I'll get into those specific questions in a little bit. They're sort of a frenemy of ours, right? We, all the transactions that you do on Visa MasterCard come through us. And uh, I want you guys to understand this pace a little bit from a payments perspective. Here are some things that have gone on lately, okay, uh, and things that are going on today. You're starting to get EMV cards. We launched the first EMV card. If any of you use Apple Pay, we were the first one to process Apple Pay. Now, this is really where I wanted to get to for you guys. Uh, is there a laser pointer on here? Okay. Yeah, there we go. All right. Here's here's a company we started right here, Money Network, right? What I wanted to show is this. I just gave you all the numbers of first data, all right? The point I want to make is you see all these are all different. You see star. Is it working there? So, so Money Network, okay? I'll explain this in a little bit, but GIFT, G-I-F-T, uh, OmniPay, Cross-Border Solutions, TransArmor, Telecheck, Star, Clover. Okay, let's go. Clover, Star, Telecheck, TransArmor, OmniPay, Gift, and Money Network. You know what all those companies, all those brands have in common? Somebody said, yes. No? might want to guess? Based on my background? Started by entrepreneurs, first data did not start a single one of those products. Okay, every one of those brands were started by entrepreneurs, built, and sold to first data. Okay, that's the opportunity. I've talked to you about money network. I'll tell you a little bit about this because I like you guys go download the the gift app. It's part of my business today that I run for First Data. Uh, it's a it's a gift card distribution. You can go download it if you've got a Samsung or uh, Android-based phone or an Apple phone. You can download the gift app, and you can virtually send anybody in here a gift card. Okay, There's over 250 gift cards. You guys go in Walgreens, and you see all the gift cards stacked up there? It's the same thing. It's a virtual gift card model is what that is. Uh TransArmor, you've got. heard about Target getting hacked, Home Depot getting hacked? Okay. TransArmor prevents that hack. Today, you've got a room full of Russians in the payments business that are sitting, and they're not, they're not dumb guys, okay? They are sitting, and we know it's Russia. I'm not just saying that uh, to say Russia. But uh, in most cases, it is Russian hackers uh, operating out of Russia that are hacking into Target and stealing your credit card number. These are smart dudes, right? They're not, they're not somebody that's on the street. They're smart dudes making a lot of money. So what they do is they go into, they, they place, uh, I'm forgetting the term, one of t- technology is, they place, um, uh, what's the term? Anyway, they place a reader within the target. Uh, they break in, break through their firewalls, place a reader within the target point of sale, and so as soon as you swipe that card before it ever goes to the register, they're stealing that number. They did that for months. Then what they do is you can actually go, if you go on the website, uh, you can actually Google and find illegal businesses that will sell you credit card numbers, okay? So these Russian guys, they're stealing all these credit card numbers, and then they'll put them up really on the dark web, And you know where to go. You can go in and you buy these credit card numbers. And once you buy them, you can go use them and do whatever you want to with them. Okay? That's what they're doing. We'll give you... We were in Home Depot before they got hacked about a year and a half ago. We were trying to sell them TransArmor. And they said, no, we got it. We got security. We're good. They were handling it internally. Okay? They got hacked. If they had had TransArmor, they wouldn't have gotten hacked. It's never been breached, never been hacked just an example of an entrepreneur developing something that most big companies can't, okay? So I've showed you this only because I wanted you to understand that the opportunity to start a business is there for each of you. The opportunity to take that company, build it, and sell it to a large company like First Data, if that's what you want to do, is there as well. And the other thing I wanted to tell you is that very, very few large companies can do development like a small entrepreneurial company can. Even Some people think that even Google is struggling right now with the diversity. They're trying to do too much, right? They were really good at one thing. They did that well. They made a lot of money, and it's the largest search engine in the world and probably the best still, right? But they haven't been really able to do that next thing. There's really not that next thing that they've done. And so you see that with large companies, which creates opportunities for you, to start a business, build a business, and sell a business. Okay? Last thing I wanted to tell you uh, before we go into some questions is never be afraid to change paths. Okay? I, I started telling you this earlier. The best things that have happened to me have happened to me when I said no, or I was going to change direction. I left, said no to a previous company to go start Money Network. Okay? About two years ago in this company, uh, I had made the decision to leave and actually go partner with another guy that's a friend of Mississippi State's, and I was out the door, I was gone, uh, and then things happened for me inside of First Data that made it just where I could not, could not leave. But I never would have gotten to that place if I hadn't been willing to walk into the CEO's office and say, I'm done, I've got another opportunity, I'm going to be going to do something else, Right? Being willing to say, I'm going to make a change, being willing to say no, being willing to have the guts to stand up and change direction is what's going to take you to that next level wherever you are every time. Without that, you're never going to make the move. If you get, I see guys that are my age that have been doing the same job for years, okay? And they're making good paychecks, right? They're making good money. But I, it takes a lot of money in this world, okay? And I'm sitting there wondering to myself, when they get to be 65, what are they going to do? Trust me, guys, Social Security's not going to do the trick. I know all of you guys are going to be ambitious, and, and you want to do the right thing. If you follow your passion, find out what you're good at, you will make plenty of money. And it is, you know what, it's about being happy, all right? But it is about taking care of yourself and your family, you're gonna to wanna to make money at some point. Don't get caught in a rut. Don't get caught in a groove. Don't get so comfortable getting paid, you know, eighty thousand dollars a year that you're not willing to take a gamble that may pay you a million dollars a year. Okay? You gotta be willing to say no to eighty or a hundred and be comfortable. You can stay there. Look, you can live in Starville, Mississippi, great place, and I'm gonna come back here and live one day. You can live here and be comfortable for $80,000, 100000 but when you quit that job, what are you going to do? Okay, you can't save a lifetime worth of earnings by, do, by working those kind of jobs. So sooner or later, you're going to have to take a step. You're going to have to get out of your comfort zone. You're going to have to find that opportunity that's going to take you to the next level. Every time you say no, set your sights higher, double whatever you think you want to do, and then go do it. And it will work out if you believe in it and have the passion. So those are most of the things I wanted to talk to you guys about, and I really want to make sure we have time for questions. We don't have time, but I'm, look, I've got nowhere to go. I can stay here as long as anybody wants me to. So, questions? Why didn't ADP just buy, buy it would have been cheaper, and they, and they probably regretted that they didn't. Um, the honest reason is that First Data owned 20% of us at the time. Right, so First Data had already made an investment, they owned 20%. Um, if ADP, it would have been great for us, because if ADP had made an offer, they probably would have gotten a larger offer from First Data. First Data probably would have never let ADP buy the business, and they knew that. Um, but, they, they, and that's the reason. It never happened, because they would, have, they would have never won the deal, right, at the end of the day. Yeah, it was absolutely that I, uh, and I had a I had an opportunity to go. It was another opportunity where, uh, and I, hindsight, you don't know whether you made the right decision or not, right? But I had an opportunity to go lead and build another business uh, with an investor that's a friend of mine. It's a big that's a big part of Mississippi State, and we were going to go do it, and uh, I had to deal. I walked. I did. I walked in and said, "No, I'm leaving." And uh, long story short, I mean. They got serious and called me back to New York. Told me I was at Jeter's last game. Anybody a Yankees fan? So they called They said they called me and said, you like the Yankees? I said, not particularly, but why? And they said, well, we want to carry you to Jeter's last game, which was on a Thursday night. So they flew me back up there, and down me, went with the Jeter's last game, and I don't, I don't mean I was like sitting up. I was like, you're Jeter, and I'm sitting right here. I'm looking down in the dugout. And, uh did that, then they made me an offer after that, that, uh, yeah, I couldn't refuse and stuck around. So I'm here today for at least a couple more years, but I never would have saw Jeter, and if I hadn't decided to quit, so. Uh, Well, you know, this is an example of that. I don't know the other side of that story, right? If I had left, I don't know where we would be today. I mean, I could have, we could have turned that into who knows what, right? Um, so it all depends on your time frame, so that was one time that I didn't do it, I stayed, you know, I was in a comfortable spot, Uh, became less comfortable for me, because they had to do a lot more for me than they were doing, so that's one time, I think that when we left to start, when I started Money Network, there was times that I should have left before I did, you know, I can feel getting frustrated, I can feel myself not being happy with where I am and feel myself getting frustrated. And when you start doing that, you know it's time to leave, right? And I probably didn't do it soon enough when we did the Money Network deal. Um, so that's probably the last time. And honestly, guys, I'm, I've am i got a list that I keep on my phone. I make notes about ideas and things I want to do next. And I've probably got 10 or 15 on there right now. And... Uh, You know, I'm sort of got. I got a couple more years here. I'm going to probably go do something different a couple more times. And then I was telling Eric, who knows, I may come back and teach here or something like that. So, yeah. Uh, We had uh, Concord Dfs at the time was a large company in Memphis. They had a product that sort of worked. So they said, here, take the product. So we didn't have a product development cost. In this case, it was a product that somebody had that nobody was selling. And nobody had a belief in. We had an idea. They actually had a product that matched the idea, so we got that basically without any development cost. Um, and then we had two guys on board with us that were part of the business, part of the ownership team, and uh, they self-funded it. One of them signed a, uh, one of them signed a note for us, and we ran off of that note for a couple of years, and then we all funded it out of our own pocket. So, I mean. So for a year and a half, I wasn't making any money. So I was funding that part out of my own pocket. So it was a little bit of both. We had a guy that was able to sign a note at a bank. We did that. We had a product that we didn't have to invest in, and then we all sort of self-funded our own lifestyles for a while. Yeah? Develop and research the product? You know, that's a good question. We probably didn't spend enough time doing that, honestly. We sort of just started selling. I mean, I literally just started calling people on the phone and, Because I thought, when somebody told me the idea, when I sat down, I remember having lunch, and they said, hey, we want to go do this. And I'm like, crap, sign me up, right? So that was not much research, you know? And then I just started calling it because it sounded good to me. And sometimes you just got to trust your gut. And for a long time, it felt like we might have been wrong, man, because, because it was completely new to the employers. And we were going to talk... We were talking to payroll people in these companies. Payroll people in a company don't typically get a lot of recognition. They're not buying a lot of products. They don't get a lot. So we're talking to them, communicating a new idea. And it took a while to get some traction. But then once we got that first deal, we signed American Airlines and we signed Kmart within the first six months. Two big deals, right? Uh, Once we got those deals done, we sort of started getting to where we could... Go, you know, we weren't making enough money yet, but by a year or so, we were able to start paying ourselves a little bit of money, and we had some deals going on: with Kmart and American Airlines, and we had a large staffing company. we were three of our first clients, and AutoZone in Memphis. So, now, let me let me say something about that. I said AutoZone in Memphis. AutoZone in Memphis signed with us because one of our uh, one of one of the, one of the people that that were in the business was friends with the CEO of AutoZone. Okay. Don't discount relationships, guys and gals. Don't discount relationships. That's what it's all about. Okay? you got to have some folks that are willing to help you get started one way or the other. Yeah? Well, I was have to ask how you got in with the Kmart. Was it the same thing, relationships, or? Uh, Kmart was actually... I I just called Kmart. Um, Kmart at the time was going through a bankruptcy. Right? And And so... I called them and, I, you know, I pitched the idea. The guy, there had been some, in some trade publications, there were, had been some press about this may be something that we people need to start looking at. And so I sort of hit on that, talked to the guy, just the timing was right. He said, come up, uh, let's talk about it. So we made a couple of trips to Michigan where they were. And that was it. But it was essentially a cold call on my part. And we didn't, they were going through bankruptcy at the time. And we were like, do we really want to do this deal? And then we said, well, we sure, because they're not having to pay us. We didn't make our money by selling anything to them. We made our money by interchange. So we were one of the few businesses that could start up and sell to a bankrupt company. So, What courses in uh, college did you take that better prepare you for yourself and start your own business? Man, you know what? Honestly, and I got two kids you guys age, and I was talking to my son about He's trying to get... The business school of Georgia is a little bit different. You actually... You can go to school there, but you can't automatically get into business school, so you got to apply. So we were talking a lot about this stuff. He's trying to apply to get into business school of Georgia right now in courses. And I, and I told him, that uh, look, I was an ag major, right? So I don't necessarily – I think today you have more choices at Mississippi State. You have entrepreneurial choices. You need to choose those. You need to have a finance course. Um, I try to get both my kids to major in finance, but neither one of them are. So um, I think that is a great major. Uh, for business, uh, but at the end of the day, I think what you get from college mostly is just the experience of college. You get the maturity of going through this environment. You get the you learn how to develop and build relationships, keep relationships. You get the maturity that the university setting provides you that you don't get outside of this. Okay, so you absolutely got to go and you got to finish college, right? Um, after that. As long as you're passionate about what you're going to do, then I don't think the courses are critically important. right? Which is why I said, you know, you can major in agriculture and then you can go run a payments company. right? Now, I did get an MBA. I got an MBA at University of San Francisco somewhere along my career path. So that, I think that, and I don't want to leave that out. That was important to me personally uh, because I realized at some point I didn't have the business background I needed. So I went and got an MBA at the University of San Francisco. So don't let me gloss over that as important. Yeah? How do I get on this uh, 60-person sales team? Uh, Send me... Eric's got my phone number. Right? Send me a note. Um, We generally don't have... My sales team is specific to these solutions, and they're highly specialized. They've all got about 10 or 15 years sales experience. Um, But there's places in first data for all of you guys. There's people... In this town, different places that are selling. You know, you go in. You can go in different merchants around around Starville and see a First Data terminal. So there's ways to start selling for First Data uh, without being part of my team. But certainly, send us a note. Um, look, I, look. I'm a big. If you go read the Joe Plumeri book that I uh, mentioned to you, one of the tra- one of the notes in there is about playing. He's got he's got a chapter called Playing in Traffic. Right? And he doesn't mean literally go jump in front of a car, but it means get out of your office and go see folks. Right? Go play in traffic. Go make something happen. right? So what we were doing, there's a couple things we did. I mean, just specifically around, we were calling. right? We were emailing. I, I'm a big believer in Salesforce.com that you guys will have experience with. You'll use that tool. And then the other thing that I heard recently and that we were doing is nobody's ever thrown a FedEx package in the trash. Right, so if you want somebody to read something, spend the money to send it via FedEx, and they're going to open it up. And we were doing, we were actually doing. We figured that out then. FedEx was in Memphis. Um, We were actually sending packages in FedEx. Now we weren't overnighting. You don't have to overnight. You can do it seven day or whatever. Still in the same package, and it gets there. They don't, they don't know the difference, right? Um, Reason that came up recently. I don't know if you guys heard. University of Memphis is trying to get in the Big Twelve. The president of the University of Memphis recently said the same thing. FedEx is a big sponsor of them trying to get in. He said nobody's ever thrown away a FedEx package. And that's true, and that's one of the ways we did it. So we'd call, email, track everything on Salesforce, and then we'd use FedEx packages to send stuff to them. Yeah? How exactly did you build those initial relationships and networking, like going from square one to the development of money networking? Relationships? Well... You know what the thing? We we were in a couple of sessions today where somebody was talking about going to a trade show. You got so we weren't in the business number one, right? So it is literally. I mean, it'll literally picking up the phone, talking to folks, being persistent, calling them back, asking for meetings, calling them back, asking for meetings again. Ultimately, getting a meeting, you show up for three or four months before they ever buy anything, right? So again, back to my to, to Joe Plamery. Uh, Playing in traffic, show up, right? Just by showing up, you build relationships. You're not going to build relationships staying behind the phone. You're not going to build relationships, you know, if you're not in their office. So show up, meet people. Uh, That's the best thing you can do. And then use existing relationships you already have. You know, you may not think about it, but you know people who know people, right? We didn't necessarily think about AutoZone uh, until we got into business. And we're like, well, damn, you're friends with the CEO of AutoZone. Go talk to him, Right? And we had another guy that was friends with a, uh, the, the largest Taco Bell franchisee in the south, which is based in Memphis. Let's go talk to him. We signed that guy. Um, I was friends with the guys that own Delta Pride Catfish. You guys from the Delta Delta Pride Catfish. So I went and talked to them. Uh, we sold them. Uh, double quick, right? I knew, I know the Greshams. We sold double. So a lot of the first deals we did were the people that we knew. And then you build from there, and they become references, and you sell to the next people. It's both. So the relationship gets you in the door, okay? Uh, They're not going to buy it unless the product's good and the product delivers. And even more so, the next person's not going to buy it, because you need that person to be happy, become a reference for you, so that you can go sell the next person and take that product. So... Uh, you got to have both. You can't, do, you can't be successful without having both of those. You got to have and be able to build relationships. You got to be willing to sell, and you got to have the product. So, hey, Mike. In my experience, you overcame a unbelievably huge hurt by being a company your size, selling, and your first deal was Canberra. Right. It was. Yeah. The the and yeah. It before, no, 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 no. Those are all. Those are all great points. And um, you know, first of all, you've got to believe in the product. Again, so we believed in what we were doing. You've got to be good at communicating the message so you can't be not be prepared. And the other thing we did, and I'll get to answer your question, the other thing we did is we actually started at the top, right? So we weren't going to build a business by selling to the guy that had two McDonald's. We wanted to build a business by selling to the guy that had, you know, 350, 400 Kmart stores, right? So we, we, our goal was to start at the top. Now, when we had time, we'd sell these smaller guys like Gresham and Delta Pride, whatever, fill in the blanks, but we were calling the bigger guys. When we went in there, you have to understand their business, right? We had to understand there's got to be a return on investment, to Mike's point. There's got to be a return on investment for what you're doing, right? They're not going to buy it just because they like it. They're in business as well. But we went in there understanding their employee count, the number of checks they're writing. It is costing them $2. If it's costing them, we were taking an expense that they had, eliminating it for them, and moving it to our revenue. That's literally what we were doing. Case of Dollar General, we were taking a $12 million expense line for payroll and turning it into $12 million in revenue for us. Right? And we had to demonstrate that the product was going to deliver. The other thing is, we were early enough that we didn't have a lot of competition at the time. Right? So if we believed in the product and we were able to demonstrate that it would actually work and we were able to show them the ROI, then we had a we had a pitch that could win the day. And we didn't have a lot of people rushing in there. Today, I've got we got 10 competitors to try to do the same thing. But at that time, it helped that we were early. We had a good pitch. We understood it enough to go deliver it. And uh, back to what I was telling these guys earlier, I mean, you guys, you got to be willing to sell, right? I'll just say this. If you're not willing to go sell whatever product it is that you're going to build or develop or partner with, you might want to rethink it, man. I mean, you're engineers. You can go build something that somebody else can sell or whatever it might be. But if you're gonna if you're gonna get in the business, you gotta be willing to sell your own product. Yeah. Did y'all, did y'all have any patents or anything on it? Yeah, we had uh we had multiple patents. We had a but patents aren't the reason you win the business. Okay, patents are nice to have. And I'll also tell you in my experience, you know, it, patents are difficult. A lot of times they don't hold up. Uh, but no, we had patents on a a check solution to attach to this. We had patent on the process. Um so, yes, we had a number of patents. Any other questions? Yeah. How important do you, whenever you see a resume, you see that somebody has an entrepreneurial certificate from the company? I, uh, you know, look, I think that's important because it's, it shows that you're willing to take some risk, right? At least you think in your mind today, if you're sitting here, that you're willing to take some risk, be aggressive. I hope that it also means that you're willing to go sell something, right, and build a business. Uh, So to that extent, that is good. Um, I'll tell you what I look at every time, and that's a good question because I want you guys to know this, and I've told my kids this. Before I hire anybody, I go search Facebook, okay? I search Facebook, I search LinkedIn. LinkedIn doesn't tell you anything because it's professional, they generally know you're going to be looking there. But... I look, I I look at Facebook and their pages open. I can see what they're doing on the weekend. People are stupid, right? I mean, they take pictures and they put up, "I'm at the lake drinking beer and getting towed up on the weekends." You know, even if that guy's great, I might not hire him, right? So I want you guys to think about that as well. Whatever you put out there is a public record and always be there. And if you come apply for a job with me or anybody that works for me, we're going to look at your Facebook page before we hire you. Okay. Well, not only that; it just it gives me a perception. It may be a wrong, but it gives me a perception of what you're doing in your spare time, right? Which is important to me because we're not we don't have a lot of spare time, right? So I want to know that it's productive. Uh, it tells me a lot about the kind of person you are. So everybody needs to pay attention to that and know that employers are looking for that. If that's what you decide to do, is go apply for a job somewhere. Um, and and look, it is a great. It's a, it's a, it's not a bad thing at all to go to work for a company like First Data or other companies to learn business, right? You don't have to leave this campus and immediately go try to start a business and starve yourself to death. Go get a job for ADP, go get a job for First Data, go get a job with Boeing, go get a job with IBM, Hewlett Packard, Chase, Bank of America, I don't care, I mean there's nothing wrong, I don't want anybody in here to think there's anything wrong with going to get a job. It's not. That's a great way to learn business and learn from people who are in business and learn from professionals. and, and at some point, you'll start feeling that inside of you that it's, hey, it's time for me to go do something else and then leave it and go do something then. And hopefully you're prepared both financially and mentally to do it at that point. Um, it's going to be tough to leave this campus and go start a business right away. Most of you guys do not, you know, you do not understand business that you do the way you need to to be successful. People have done it. You read about the stories where people are successful. You can do it, but it's tougher. So I'm just, my point is... Nothing wrong with applying and getting a job and working in business for a little while before you go start something. Yeah. Uh, how do you handle a competition? Is it just also harder? Are you, kind of lucky to start first? Or, you know, is there any competition that scares you at all? No, I mean, competition doesn't scare me. Look, I, I, honestly, you know, part of being a Mississippi State fan is where you say <laughs> Mississippi State's never had a number one football team, right? If We did a few weeks um, a few years ago for a few weeks. And, but I'm still, I'm, every year when Mississippi State starts, I think we're going to win every game, right? I mean, that's, so, and I've been doing this for too long. Um, you got to believe, my point is, I use that to transition into, you got to believe in what you're doing. So I'm not afraid of the competition ever. I, what, if I, whatever I've been a part of, I've been passionate about. I believe that First Data is the best payments company in the world, right? I believe we have the best gift card solution in the world. I believe that we have the best payroll program in the world, right? You've got to believe that to go sell it. Uh, so I'm not worried about the competition. Now, I know the competition. You've got to know. If you're, if you're starting a product, you've got to know the competition. You've got to know what they're doing. You've got to know what their product's about. You should know your competition's product better than you know, or at least as good as you know your own. That's sort of rule one. I can tell you in the money network business and most of these other businesses up here, I can tell you, what company, you, if, you said, if you said Dollar General, right, I can tell you what Dollar General, with every one of these businesses up here, I can tell you they're doing it with a competitor and who that competitor is, right? And I know that competitor's product. You've got to know their product as well as you do your own and what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, so understand, I wasn't at First Data when the LBO happened, right? I've just been a part of it since it happened. So, And I, and I wasn't the guy sitting at the table when the deal was done. But I can tell you how it was done. Um, and an LBO might be a great topic for a class. I don't know. If, I mean, everybody should understand what they are and whether you do or do not want to participate in them. Um, but literally, as simple as it gets, is an LBO is just is me using somebody else's money to buy your company. The goal being because I, I because I think I can run your company better, drive revenue faster and with less expense. Therefore, you know, the multiples become greater and I can then sell that. I'm only buying it to sell it under that, right? You're never doing an LBO because you want to keep it and take care of the people, right? So, so if anybody ever says that, they're wrong. You're buying it to cut expenses, grow revenue faster than they can do themselves, and then to sell it increase the multiples and, and never invest in your own money you're only paying interest. That's what an LBO is. Um, there's, there's, you'll read about them. I mean, you guys, do you have to subscribe to the Wall Street Journal as part of the business school? Okay. There's LBOs. I mean, usually there's pretty good many. You'll, you'll read about them, um, in the Wall Street Journal. You'll see them. That's what they are. It's really interesting. Uh, there's company Bain Capital. You guys ever heard of Bain Capital? You guys have heard of Mitt Romney, right? Okay. Mitt Romney started Bain Capital. Uh. And if you remember, when he was going through the election process the last time around, they kept hammering him on how he treated employees. Do y'all remember that? They just hammered him, you know, ran businesses in the ground, bankrupt businesses. You heard that about Mitt Romney for six months. What they were talking about was the leverage buyouts he did. He wasn't directly involved in any of those companies, but his, his bank capital did buy those companies. In some cases, you bankrupt them and you shut them down. That's just part of the business. That's not the goal, but that's sometimes how it works. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was saying earlier. I mean, what I keep hearing about you guys is you don't want to make money. Is it right? <laughs> you know, no nah, I mean, there is there is a sentiment out there that millennials are. Uh, more concerned i mean you 've grown up in an environment where this country has sort of had some trouble we 've been through some tough times. Uh, you want to take care of each other, take care of the world, uh, work in nonprofits work in charitable that 's all great stuff right uh, The contrast to that is it 's not A, it's not what I would do and i give away I give away money right but it 's money that I make and then I give it away. Um, I just sort of prefer that route and I, and I think that I think that you guys, um, you need to follow your passion. And as your passion is helping, I've got a lot of good friends in Memphis that are, have nonprofit organizations that are doing great work, right? I'm on a board of a nonprofit in Memphis that's, um, that's doing this teaching vets how to code for free, right? So that they can go get jobs. Now, I've talked to the guy about turning it into for-profit, but that's not where his heart is, right? So those are, it's, it's really each individual's decision, but there's a contrast there. Yeah. You talked about how important sales were, you know, getting sales and, you know, equipment and stuff like that. What tactics did you use to be able to go in to, you know, let people big companies like that remember your face, remember who you are, or even going into like a job interview? You know, somebody remembering something about you to make you stand out and be different from the rest of the people? Yeah, I think that, uh I don't know that it's a tactic. I think that it's. It's something you learn along the way. Honestly, I never had any sales training, right? Um, but is you, look if you're, it, you it's something that you will develop, right? If you know your product and you have passion about your product, that passion comes through, right? That passion comes through, and you can see it. Um, and if if people know that you're passionate about it, and they know you believe in your product, and you can demonstrate that it works, that's what sales is right? There's no special skills or tricks. It's understanding your product, knowing your product, being passionate about it, and being able to communicate it. And if you can do that, they'll buy from you. That's how you develop trust in people, right? So, you know, if you're trying to sell me something and I look at you and it doesn't look like you trust it yourself, then I'm probably not going to buy it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. Honestly, I uh, I don't know if you heard the question. The question was, did we get in a rut thinking our product might not sell? I mean, yeah, so it was, even when we had some deals going, this product took a while to get up. Once you sold it, it took a while for it to get going. And so, uh, yeah, the answer is yes. I mean, there were times, look, man, I'm a grown man, but there were times I wanted to come home crying, honestly, right? Because I wasn't making any money, and I had a wife at home that wanted me to make money. And I love her, and we were great, but at the same time, you do get in those ruts, right? And you got to figure it out, and you got to work through it, and you got to make decisions at that point whether you're going to stick with it. Say, hey, all, all right, I'm going to stick with it six more months, and if it breaks, good, I'm good. If it doesn't, then you might have to reconsider what you're doing. I've got a friend of mine. We were in Money. Was, there were was five of us in Money Network. I've told you about a couple of them. This is another guy. And when we got bought by First Data, he didn't want to be a part of it. He left almost right away, Right? Uh, he's he's had two startups fail since then. Okay, so he left, had a little had a little bit of cash. He's had two startups fail since then. He's getting to the point where he he needs one to hit. He's in his third right now. He's struggling a little bit. And the third one, I'll, and I'll tell you this story. And I, I, I'm Eric, I can stay here as long as y'all want to. But the third one was uh, he. he I, I had lunch with him two weeks ago, and he started a business in Memphis that provides. You know, during the recession, all these there's a lot of houses that went through bankruptcy, right? And companies out of New York, basically most of them are in New York, all that money I was talking about, cash for, at like these capital firms, they needed to put the cash somewhere, so they bought up a lot of distressed real estate. That's what they did. Now they own these rental properties in Memphis and other cities, and they need somebody to work on them. So his business is he's literally got a startup where he contracts services for those business. So. He goes, and because he represents himself well, he can go talk to a firm in New York, and they're like, absolutely, we need one guy to take care of this for us. And so he's got a plumber, and he's got a carpenter, and he's got whatever, and he goes in and, and does these houses for him. And you know what? He's starting to make money, and this could be a big deal because not many people are doing it. But you know what he told me? He's worried about it that's just not cool enough, right? Because the things he's done before are a prepaid card, and the other thing he was trying to do was advances on cards, card, so the card you could automatically get a loan on the card. And then the one before that was um, cloud funding, right? He had a cloud funding deal going that didn't make it, right? Cool things, but they're not cool if they don't make you money. So now his perception is that he, he literally told me this, that, yeah, I'm, I'm liking it. It looks like it's going to make something. I think it could be a big business for him. But he's worried about talking to people about it because it doesn't sound as cool as the stuff he's used to doing, right? So, you gotta you gotta think about that kind of stuff. Um, and he may not be passionate about this, and so he may not make it. But I think he is, and he'll stick with it. Don't worry about what other people think. It's the whole point of that. Anything else? All right, guys. Thank, thank y'all. Oh, okay, pay attention to your email. You should see an assignment come out. Um Tomorrow at the latest.